Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that boss next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Duffy goes Duffy O'Connor. Frank Mir does it again. Rock'em, sock'em, robots here. Oh, my goodness. I believe they're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Well, it's great to be home. It's great to be back in South Florida and great to be with you fine people. It is Monday, July 19th, episode 309 of the Anakin Florian podcast. Throat cracking right off the top. Ken Flo, looks like you're home too. I am home. Uh, it, it must be nice for you, man. I know it's been a little while. Must be uh, great to see the family again and been uh, working your ass off, man. So how about this? The kids are not home. Nobody's home. They're all in New England. So Riley comes home from overnight camp tomorrow. So my two other children and my wife will meet her at Bradley Airport in Connecticut tomorrow morning, and then they will all fly wow. home together. So I'm home right now with no children. Hashtag no excuses to not be sharp and ready to go today, despite a red eye on Saturday night. But needless to say, very excited to see my family uh, after 16 days apart. And uh, again, to all the military men and women across the world, I truly don't know how you deal with this separation. I think for me, inherently, I'm not afraid to lean into my feminine side. As you saw when I talked about Misha Tate still nursing on the broadcast this weekend, I'm an emotional guy. I'm a homesick guy. So for me, I really don't know how I would deal with three months away from my family. Um, yeah. I will be bawling my eyes out when I see them at the airport tomorrow. I don't know what the longest you've ever gone. I know you fighters oftentimes have to check into a, a mental toughness channel that that ceases to exist in my mind. But the separation is hard. I ain't going to lie to you. Absolutely, man. Especially when you uh, throw into the equation kids, right? I mean, there's just obviously anyone who's had a kid, there's a special bond there. And uh, I haven't been away for, for that long. But uh, 
I think next month I, I may be away for that two week period. So there you go. Be you'll be with me in South Florida and I'm basically like a brother. Yeah. So uh, okay. <laughs> exactly. And exactly. in terms of me softly referencing the fact that Misha Tate is still nursing, somebody asked me, Hey, if you could go back, would you not utter that line over eight hours on a headset? Was that a regrettable utterance? And I don't know. Right. I mean, like, I think for any of us whose wives have breastfed and nursed extensively, you know, the toll uh, and you know what that takes. So the fact that Misha Tate would be nursing her son before going to the UFC apex to me is pretty incredible. Uh, But maybe I could have left it on the cutting room floor. Uh, (laughs) His fans get really upset uh, sometimes when I. Why? Why do people get upset about that stuff? I don't know. Well, I do think that generally speaking, it's more the younger demographic that doesn't understand how that could have any relevance. And I guess I would suggest to you that what did Misha Tate post on fight day as she returned to competition for the first time in five years, uh, a video or a photo of her nursing her son uh, essentially in her fight kit. So uh, it's a very real thing. Yeah. But it's great to have everybody with us. And thank you for checking back in. I know a decent part of our listenership and viewership actually threatened to never tune in again after last week. I do want to address briefly the uh, the UFC 264 recap. And perhaps I could have articulated my opinions a little bit better in terms of some of my support for Conor McGregor. Certainly, if you have listened to this podcast over the years, uh, you know, there's been a lot of appreciation and love for Dustin Poirier. And perhaps there was not enough of that a week ago. And if that is the case and you felt that I do apologize, but to those who suggested in the comments that you have lost eternal respect for me based upon some of my opinions last week, that scares me, right? Because I feel like we've established a lot of goodwill with this podcast over six years. I feel like as a UFC commentator coming up on 10 years, I hope I've established enough goodwill with the audience to not lose respect in totality with one opinion, because if we can't voice our opinions here, which essentially is the essence of our show, um, then I don't know where we can voice it. So uh, I appreciate the audience. We appreciate the feedback. We obviously take it very seriously. Right. Ken Flo, do you have anything to add as a former three-time world UFC title challenger? Yeah, no, listen, I, I think that um, we, you know, we are going to come at it from a different perspective than say the fan. Right. And, and I think that, um, you know, I, I guess to clarify as well in regards to that, I don't think John and I are uh, in accordance with what Conor McGregor said uh, in regards to threatening people's lives. And that that's not cool. Right. But at the same time, having been around Conor and knowing Conor, the businessman, Conor, the promoter, uh, you know, it's you you know, he's kind of a, a character of himself there and he's not really trying to do anything other than promote the fight. Um, there's better ways uh, about going about it. There's classier ways than going about it. Um, and for Dustin Poirier, um, he has been consistently classy, uh, a consistent professional, um, and won't resort to any tactic to promote a fight. He lets his fighting do the talking. He's an amazing, uh, an amazing fighter, amazing champion. Um, and, uh, and that's pretty much it. Connor, you know, is who he is, uh, for a reason. Um, but he has also been willing to say anything uh, and everything on the right. mic to get it done. Um, you may not agree with it, but there's a reason why he's, you know, um, you know, one of the wealthiest athletes on the planet. And uh, and, and that's it. I think that's kind of where, where I was coming from. Anyway. Yeah, I think that's fair. <clears throat> and I think neither of us likes when the vitriol obviously goes that far. But I think generally speaking, I just don't get as 
caught up in it, I guess, as somebody like like Paul Felder does, who is wildly offended. And I know most of you align more with Paul than me, and that is okay. Um, but just yeah. know how much we appreciate every last one of you, uh, and that's why I at least wanted to acknowledge it off the top. And I'll also say, too, because depending on the Sunday morning, uh, I'm either a promotional shill or the opposite of that, right? And And it just comes with the territory. I understand that over seven, eight hours on a headset, I'm going to offend somebody. But that show came a week after Ken Flo essentially uttered on these airwaves that the Gon Lewis interim title fight was essentially a fuck you to Francis Ngannou. So don't right. group Ken Flo in with me, guys, okay? Um, because <laughs> he ain't taking a check from the promotion. Uh, and if anyone has kept it real on the show over the last year, or two, or six, uh, it's Ken Flo. All right, <laughs> headlines, UFC fight night, Makhachev versus Moises. By the way, had a big golf hit. I don't know if you saw my Instagram, Ken Flo. I hit on Colin uh, Morikawa to win the uh, the British Open at thirty seven to one when I was in Las Vegas. So dang. Um, so it was fifty to pay nineteen hundred, but I qualified it to let people know I had six hundred dollars on John Rom. So I was rooting for John Rom because I would have won like seven thousand dollars. And wow. He, he hit the ball beautifully yesterday, but uh, but we'll take the little hedge on Morikawa. Uh, but we'll Hell leave yeah, with Islam man. Makashev and not the British Open. So uh, <laughs> clearly you saw by the reaction of Khabib Nurmagomedov and Islam Makashev, they prioritized a finish here. They felt like in terms of this matchup and, and the level that they perceived themselves to be at, that they had to get Tiago Moises out of there, and, and that's exactly what they did. What did you make of, of Islam Makashev's performance over the weekend? Thank goodness I changed my prediction to the fourth round. Um, hey, listen, yeah, it was very impressive. These are the kind of things that you want as a fighter, right? Where you're trying to prove to yourself, prove, you know, prove to yourself first and foremost, but also prove to the promotion that you are worthy of more opportunities like other main events or, you know, uh, fighting other top contenders or fighting for the belt. Uh, and what better way to do it in a main event like that against another tough opponent in Moises and uh, Mahashev uh, proved that he is of that quality. Um, I think there's been a lot of pressure on his shoulders. You know, a lot of people have talked about his legendary training sessions and how good he is and compared him, of course, to one of his mentors, Habib Nurmagomedov. Um, and he went out and delivered an amazing performance. Um, I think not only did he largely shut down Moises for the majority of that fight, um, he then started pulling away uh, – to the point of complete dominance um, and getting a finish, controlling another Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt like he did um, and doing as well as he did on the feet showed that he is going to be a problem. He, he is absolutely um, the real deal. It's going to only going to add to his confidence uh, as a fighter. And um, I think now he's going to be deserving of, of those top 10, top 15 guys for sure. The Khabib Nurmagomedov comparisons are not going to stop, right? You got right. one guy who's 29 and 0, the other guy who is 20 and 1. And based upon everything that I see and read, it seems as though the public perception is that Khabib is, is a little bit of a better natural athlete. But in terms of mixed martial arts skill and talent, it's very close. I mean, I got to think there are things that Makashev does uh, better than Khabib. I got to think maybe some of his chokes potentially could be a lot. I mean, there's got to be something that he does better. But. Well, I'll say his striking, you know, his striking straight off the bat looks cleaner to me. Um, yeah. He looks yeah. a little less reckless than Habib does. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a problem, man. There's no doubt about it. 
a little bit lighter on his feet, maybe even when he goes for yeah. some of those trips, I think there's a little bit more speed with which he goes about them, but he is just a super impressive individual. And, uh, you know, Tiago Moises was largely unfazed. I am excited to see his future again. He was born in 1995. He's really just getting going. So yeah. there's a whole Moises side of this. Uh, but in terms of Islam Akashev, I just can't emphasize enough how blown away I was by him during fight week and on fight night in our fight, fighter meeting. He, his comprehension of English really is off the charts. His, his, his speaking English is improving every time we sit down with him. And uh, he's not cocky. Like, he's just a confident kid. He really isn't yeah. cocky, uh, but he's acutely aware of self, and I think he knows how good he is. And, uh, you know, as, as Misha Tate said, I mean, she was a quote machine this week, but, but confidence is costly, and, and a lot of these fighters have paid the price. They put in the time, and, and that results in, in a lot of confidence. So what do you, what do, you do with Makashev, right? I mean – Unlike a lot of guys, he can't get any fight he wants. You know, I don't think he can get Justin Gaethje or Michael Chandler right now, per se. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are going to selectively avoid this man. I'm not saying those two men are among that class, but he mentioned Rafael Dos Anjos, who at least uh, is on a winning streak. He mentioned Tony Ferguson, who is not. I, I think they got to do that RDA fight. And you got to think Dos Anjos uh, as game as anybody on the roster would be willing. I think it's a fantastic fight. I think it's a smart call out in that RDA has always or, or seemingly has struggled against guys who have superior takedowns to him. Um, I think RDA is still going to be very tough. He's not going to go away easily against someone like Mahashev. But, you know, a, a former champion in RDA, a, a guy who is a, a an excellent, well-rounded skill set like RDA, I mean, uh, you get a dominant win or even a win over someone like RDA, and people have to start paying attention at this point. They already are. Um, but uh, the way that he matches up against RDA, I think it was a small it was a smart call out um, on behalf uh, of uh, Mahashev and his team. And uh, I, I think that would be really interesting. And of course, Ferguson uh, would be a great fight as well. Um, but I don't know. I think there might be more to gain uh, in defeating uh, RDA at, at this point. Yeah. And I think that the promotion has other plans for Michael Chandler, who uh, Islam Akashev did softly call out on the post show as Cody Merrow is alerting me to. But uh, I think Chandler would take the fight if offered. You know, he is not in the business of saying no. I'll tell you, too, about Michael Chandler. He wasn't supposed to work the desk this past weekend. Tyron Woodley was going to work the desk, but he had Jake Paul media obligations and Chandler. Uh, stepped up for his debut so it just goes to show you the guy's not in the business of saying no and i don't yeah. think he would say no so islam akashev closed about minus 700 ken flow and when i was talking to people as as highly as i think of moises and american top team and pahumpa you know i still thought there was value on moise on makashev when he was like minus 600 and i like if right. islam fought conor mcgregor like what would the goddamn bing line be would islam be minus 400 as the stylistically worst matchup in the top 15 for Connor. Like what is the betting line? If Islam fights Charles Oliveira or Dustin Poirier next weekend, I, I don't know. I, I think Poirier might be favored to beat Islam, but I don't know, man. I don't know. Like I yeah. think that the betting public might hit Islam in plus money and he might close as the favorite. It's a very interesting conversation. Either way, Dos Anjos obviously had the weight cut as the backup. So the calendar should align for those two. Not a lot of appreciable damage taken by Makashev. So hopefully uh, that's mm -hmm. a fight, potentially a main event that we get in the uh, in the fourth quarter. So 
my twin brother was in the building uh, for both shows, but he was able to come to the UFC Apex this Saturday night. And so I saw him at the airport after the fact, Kenny, and I said, what'd you think of the show? And he looks at me and he's like, dude, there's so many good fighters in the UFC. And I thought it was an amazing thesis statement on sort of the last eight days in Las Vegas. There is so much talent in the UFC right now, right? Sergey Morozov over Khalid Taha, right? On the prelim portion, like 17 and four, an absolutely real problem at 135 pounds. We won't even get to his performance today. Dude, the, the talent under the UFC banner right now, would you agree, is, is as good as it's ever been? It's only getting better. Um, you know, I think Morozov is a great example of that. And you look at the guy he beat in Taha. I mean, Taha was fighting every second of that fight. I mean, he is talented. He is tough. He is good everywhere. Uh, but Morozov, um, just a little bit too good when it came to the grappling portion and how he timed his entries and things like that with his uh, combinations. But, um, yeah, and, and those are guys that people aren't even really even talking about. Um, you know, Amanda Lemos. I mean, again, this was a card that was a non-pay-per-view event that really did feature a heck of a lot of talent. So, absolutely, I feel like the UFC is uh, the strongest it's ever been. And we're going to rifle through some of these main card results and try to highlight as many performances as possible. One thing that uh, I did want to point out on the Khalid Taha side, so you may have heard me on the broadcast acknowledge his head coach, Karsten Ringler, whom I've never met. I don't know what the man looks like. And so I got a message from Carson after the fact. He's like, hey, I appreciate the shout out, but uh, I'm actually back in the hotel room watching because although he tested negative for COVID-19, I guess another team member was positive. Uh, so he was not allowed to corner him. So it looked like maybe on show day, Khalid Taha might have lost two of his corner men. And I don't think oh, it would have wow. changed the result, but it just goes to show you my corner audio sheet, uh, I don't think was updated that late in the game. So Khalid Taha was competing without uh, his that doesn't help. Yeah, no. All right. Misha Tate comes back for the first time since 2016 and couldn't have done a whole lot better with this co-main event showcase against the retiring Marion Renault. So Renault is another part of this at 44 years of age. She retires with five consecutive losses, not the way she drew it up for the end of her career. Uh, but Misha Tate looked fantastic physically. Mentally, she's in the best place of her life. There was a lot of toxicity when she retired. You could even see when she retired, the last fight of her career, uh, or that that part of her career in 2016, she's like still arguing with Brian Caraway in the octagon, like after that fight. And that relationship was the source of that toxicity. And this woman is liberated. She is happy and uh, looks a whole lot like a bona fide bantamweight contender. What'd you think of Misha? John, you could really see it. You know, I, I think that um, having a certain energy about you, having um, an environment around you where you can be the best version of yourself is so important. Um, it's often uh, overlooked. Um, and sometimes you get caught in these patterns where you're like, hey, this is my normal. I'm just going to deal with this. But you could see that Misha, when she was fighting back in the day, there was um, she just seemed exhausted in every way shape or form like she was kind of going through the motions at some point at certain points in her career uh and this was a happy um a motivated a passionate misha tate who looked to me to be in the best shape of her life she was as lean as i yeah. can remember um she it's was getting after it it's the breastfeeding. <laughs> you do lose weight doing breastfeeding yeah yes my wife's in that right now yeah. um you know and i think that um you know, just the, the way that she approached the fight was kind of a, a classic Misha, Ta Misha, Misha Tate uh, fight in that 
it kind of built to this crescendo. It was like this slow kind of analysis. Then the pressure kind of kicked up a little bit. Uh, then there was more activity and t- like round after round, grinding it down, putting the pressure on it, eventually getting the finish. I, I thought was um, a beautiful performance from her against a very tough uh, Marion Renault. And it really couldn't have worked out better. She gets the finish, but she also gets almost 12 minutes of fight time. And you might have heard us say on the broadcast, some of you would have been in commercial break, but for the first time in her career, she's the CEO of Team Tate. And I know late in your career, you kind of took total control and made some sort of changes in terms of your inner circle and those surrounding you. And it's just the perfect storm for success right now. I do hope they do the rematch with Holly Holm if they can get that fight made. I think a five-round main event title eliminator of sorts makes a lot of sense. You know, we'll see. Uh, and for Marion Renault, um, you know, with respect, I just, uh, the inability to pull the trigger, I think reared its ugly head again. And uh, before she could sort of get in the fight, she was out of the fight. And uh, a lot of people suggesting Misha Tate at minus 130 was the steal of the century. His Cody Marrow's writing in our chat room, and I don't disagree. But uh, what do you think about Misha Tate and Holly Holm in a rematch? Does that, uh, you want to wet your fucking beak with that, Ken Flo, or what? I would love to see it. I think, um, you know, Misha learned a lot about that fight against Holly Holm. She was losing that fight against yeah. Holly Holm, uh, was uh, ultimately able to come back and get the submission win. But I, I think she knows that she can do much better uh, having experienced that. Uh, I do think Holly Holm is is getting better and getting sharper as a fighter as well, though. Um, and she's uh, certainly made some improvements since then. So I think it's a fantastic fight. And again, just to go back to Misha's last um, fight on Saturday night, um, it was great to hear her say that she's not in here just to kind of get a couple more fights. She she is in here to get a title fight. That's when um, you're going to see the best versions of a fighter when they still have that in the back of their mind that they are there to be a world champion. Misha is there. She looked the part. And uh, that was great to see. And and she can certainly get back on that road uh, with the win over uh, Holly Holm. Two, two legends going at it. That'd be fun for me. Misha's just such a special human being. I think she has the chance to be a special broadcaster, either on the desk or in the booth. She has so much to offer the sport. And uh, certainly as an American, I'm glad she is back stateside and, uh, and under the UFC banner. And I know we've talked recently about children as motivation. And I have long said, wait till your career's over to uh, procreate if you can help it, right? But Sean O'Malley has said recently that his motivation was maxed out before he had a kid, that as much as he would like to lean into the fact that maybe going in there as a father provides for some extra source of motivation, like he was so goddamn motivated to be world champion that he didn't really feel any difference. Most fighters are on the other side of that, right? Misha Tate was talking in our fighter meeting, like her son Daxton and her daughter Amaya, like they're part of team Tate. Like she absolutely brings that in there. And I got to think for you, if you had had the chance to compete as a dad, um, that it's just an extra gear. And that's part of the reason yeah. why her fiance, Johnny Nunez, is in the corner for that emotional support. Like she sees him, she sees her children. I don't yeah. know, man. I think it's a very powerful thing. And certainly you can't overstate the value of that for Misha uh, in terms of where she's at in her head right now. 100%. You know, I think there's a reason why you don't see a whole lot of um, animals get close to uh, a mother lion and their cubs, you know, <laughs> they, 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 that that uh, instinctual uh, protection and motivation is very much there uh, for both men and women, I think, and uh, can definitely provide a lot of motivation. It's so true. Like I'm deathly afraid of the ducks outside when the mother duck looks at me or maybe they're good. Right. She's a little bit big. <laughs> 
But she's looking at me like, if you come one step closer, I'm going right. to put my fucking beak around your trachea. <laughs> All right. Congratulations to Misha Tate. Uh, great to have her, uh, her back in the octagon featured bout in the lightweight division did not go the way Jeremy Stevens drew it up 65 seconds in. He is submitted via Kimura by Mataj Gamrot. And again, just speaks to the crazy depth in the UFC right now. This is a former two division KSW champion in Poland. One at featherweight, one at lightweight. He's got a quarter of a million followers on Instagram and perhaps until Saturday night, a decent chunk of our viewership had no idea who Mataj Gamrot even was. What a fucking stud. Real deal. Holyfield, man. Uh, yeah. Make it look easy. Like th that's, that is the sign of a high level mixed martial artist. In my opinion, a guy who does everything that you think he can do and he does it cleanly. I don't think he took a shot from Jeremy Stevens. Um, just uh, clinical. Uh, he, he really looked like a surgeon out there. So congratulations to Gamrot. Seems like a fun guy as well. And uh, another guy who's going to pose a lot of problems for people in that lightweight division. All right. As we continue with our recap of UFC fight night, Makashev versus Moises. We're going three wide as we welcome in television's Raymond Peter Longo. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Hey, there they are. Woo! Yeah. Oh, it's Monday morning over here. I don't know what time it is where you guys are. <laughs> what time is it? It is, uh, I'm back home. It's 11.03 a.m. Eastern for all three of us right now. We're all yes. back on the East Coast. No, I think it's I think it's time to stop licking McGregor's balls time. Because <laughs> I did. that was coming. You took, the whole, you took the whole show down last, last week. Kenny, we had some classic, I thought we had a, very great show. People are telling me a lot of views. The con I go to look, and nobody's even giving a shit. They're just all on the. <laughs> what did you do while I wasn't here? Seriously, they, what did you do? They need to hear the. They need to hear all the different opinions, oh right? That's why Lord. we have you on here. You keep my us straight. Keep us straight over here. I'm trying to build this podcast up, and you guys are trying to rip. It <laughs> this is what we. <laughs> we definitely adversely affected your livelihood life. Oh my God! Crazy. There's no doubt. Well, if uh, anything, people just bought more Longo shirts because of last week they're like, right. "This guy." Right, exactly. Fuck flow and fuck. <laughs> yeah. And we return our uh, parental advisory explicit lyrics T-shirts and get some uh, Ray Longo minutes. Hey, well, that's, that's exactly what Khabib said to John in that photo. Actually, he was like, "I need oh, to give me one of those shirts." Wait, I love did, you see, did you see the picture of me and Khabib? I, I, I thought that was great. Thank you very much, John. All I was looking for is a thank you. Right? I mean, I told you. So I, I don't like to wear stuff with my name on it in like a public UFC setting, right? Like I wouldn't walk into a UFC weigh-in and have like my name on the cover of a t-shirt, right? Like that's yes. just self-serving and uh, just not my style, right? Right. So I bought a bunch of the Ray Longo Minute t-shirts. Yes, the Anakin Florian podcast logo is on the back, but I can promote my guy Ray Longo and still yeah. subtly promote the podcast. So of course, uh, I'm there with your guy, Khabib, who I know you've got so much love for. And he was just staring at my Ray Longo Minute t-shirt the whole time. So I thought that was kind of great. Love him. So why do you have a collared shirt on so early in the morning? I got to know. Or was that just the shirt that was next to your bed when you rolled out of bed to get your cold brew? No, nah, it was the shirt that was actually next to my computer when I got that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going solid now. Come on, we got to, we got to. 
Don't you feel it? Do you feel big things coming for this podcast? Is it just me? Is There's it no doubt me? about it. There's I mean, no doubt on. about it. We got to go college shirt. No, I'm really excited about the future. Potential licensing deal coming down. Wow. Sorry, Cody. I shouldn't have said that on the air. But no, we're very excited Let about the future. Go. Yeah, letting it all go today. And uh, every time I see an Anakin Florian podcast t-shirt at a UFC live event, it warms my heart. Fucking Jason Herzog, the referee. God love the guy, right? Shows up to UFC 264. He's boots on the ground on the floor before the fights wearing an Anakin Florian podcast uh, t-shirt. You know, waiting until the man. last minute to put on his uh, his NSAC black. So we got to love Herzog for good that. Uh, yes. All right. Lot to get to with Raymond as usual. By the way, it looks as though Marab Dwalishwili, Ally Quinta, and Aljamain wow. Sterling are on their way to Georgia together. And I don't mean Savannah. I mean the nation <laughs> of. Is that correct? That's that is correct, man. That is that looks wow. like. Uh, I think Marab and he wanted to. I want he wanted every he wanted everybody to go, which is crazy. But uh, those guys went, and uh, it's gonna. I don't know. That 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 can't be good. It just can't be good. The bond between Marab those... going to swim there? What's he do? Is he going to run there? What's Marab doing? Yeah, right. Exactly. You're flying? Yeah, he's there's, <laughs> a, there's a competition. The Aljo and Al took a plane, and he's uh, on horseback. Yeah, I believe <laughs> it. I believe it. With a fucking piece of bark in his mouth. So he's savage. The, I gotta say, man. I know this is a little fluffy, but the bond between those three. It comes through yeah. in every video and in every interaction. Like I, it just, I think it helps them all career wise to an ex extent that only somebody like you uh, yeah. could really talk about. So that was cool to see them all going to Georgia. And, and, and honestly, John, I don't, you know, even Al and Aljo, I think they just know each other the last seven years and Marab probably the last six or whenever he came in. So it's, it's not like they would grew up together. So it, it, that makes me, it really does make me happy when, uh, you know, the team's vibing like that. And uh, it, it's it, it's really good to see. And we were all in Atlantic City. They all uh, came down. Al did the announcing for the Ring of Combat. And, uh, you know, just had a great time. We had great outcomes. I, we'll get to that later, though, because we had a great, we had like another string of victories, like another seven. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, really, really good stuff. Good stuff. So, uh so what would you think of the UFC fight night? I want to at least get your thoughts on Islam Akashev and Misha Tate and a few other performances. Uh, what do you make of this Islam cat? Because a lot of people think he's the best lightweight in the world right now. I'll tell you, you know, it's not even, well, obviously the guy's great, right? He looks good. Uh, and I, I don't feel the domination like a Khabib, but he looks smart. His stand-up looks pretty solid defensively and uh and offensively um yeah he looks he looks like the real deal uh so get him get him challenged a little more and let's see what happens but uh for right now he's got a great camp right and he's any challenge they put in front of him he's passing with flying colors and above so uh yeah i don't know he's he's, he's not going to be an easy out but uh yeah. you know what you know what's crazy as i was uh you know you don't even realize who the champ is. They, it, he's almost got the aura now that he is the champ, even yeah. with the build for the fight. To me, anyway. But uh, yeah. you know, and I had to watch the fight when I got home because obviously I was at the Ring of Combat, you know, right. with my guys Saturday night. So, but that it, that kind of feeling is uh, they're already, you know, they're doing a great job with that. I feel like he is the champ, you know, which is which is crazy. Yeah, eight consecutive wins for Islam Akashev. Do you guys know who is statistically the hardest fighter to hit in UFC history? Islam Akashev has the best striking defense 
of any fighter in any division right now in UFC history. And that's why even at minus 600, I think it's still a little bit juicy, right? Because if you're outlining scenarios whereby Moises wins, he hits really hard, he kicks even harder, uh, and he's really good with his counters. But uh, yeah. I felt like he was going to have to land a head kick or something and follow up with punches. And the, the, uh, the probability of that to me just seemed very low. Ray, what'd you think of Misha Tate and her comeback performance? Pretty inspiring, huh? Yeah, truly. Uh, really, really, really happy for Misha Tate. Look, I think she's a, a smart fighter. I think the time away did a good, good, great to see you get a win and come back. Uh, always liked her. Uh, you know, man, she's been around forever. So she, uh, yeah, it was just, just one, I think it was like for me, like a feel good moment. I'm glad she got the win. Do you have a problem with me talking about her breastfeeding on the air? Was she breastfeeding on the air? Not on the air, but I talked about it on the air. Do you have a problem oh, yeah. with that? No, why? Did your wife nurse your two daughters, if you don't mind my asking? Of course she did. All right, so there you, you go. That's why? why you don't have a problem with it. Why? Because that's my advice to people. You have to breastfeed, because if not, you're going to pump that milk in a bottle, and guess who's got to get up to feed them? Right. Right. I got it all down, John. I got and it And we know you down. sleep hard. I, Ray is a deep sleeper, I, folks. If I had breasts, I'd go feed them. You know, you know <laughs> what I mean? Honey, yeah. just, let this be a lesson to you, Kenny. Uh, Breastfeed is the only way to go. Breastfeeding is the right only now. way to go. Yeah. Yeah, trust me. I've, I've yeah. been there. Yeah. So uh, put that milk in the bottle. You're the guy, man. <laughs> so um, I got to say, man, Billy Q, Billy Corintello, out of Buffalo, New York. Oh. Ken Flo, I'll have you lead, and then we'll get to Longo on this. Matt Favola. Right in the corner of Billy Corintello after round two, he is so fucking giddy with excitement that his guy is not only just giving it to Gabriel Benitez, but he can feel the bonus. Like Frivola gets up on the apron. He's looking over at Dana White, just like, do you believe this shit? Fucking laughing. Like I couldn't get enough. And uh, I don't know if you thought that the ceiling on Billy Q Kenny was in a certain spot. I think he raised it this weekend. What a response to the Gavin Tucker fight, four and one in the UFC, and gets a bonus uh, on way to his honeymoon in the Virgin Islands. Got to feel good for Billy Q. He's a damn savage. Okay, I compared him to a to a honey badger that just downed a six pack of Monster Energy drinks. Like he does not stop. And if you were to pick a dude of like, if you had ten typical UFC fighters, and Billy Q was in that lineup, and you had to fight one of them. Almost 10 out of 10 guys would probably pick Billy Q. You know, like, I yeah. take that guy. He looks like a, a frat boy from college. Like, he doesn't look that tough. Wrong freaking answer. That dude has a heart and a determination and a skill set that is going to rough you up. Like, you're not getting out of a Billy Q fight, whether you win, lose, without multiple bruises and pain. That that He, he is so fun to watch. Uh, and so impressive and so tough. Uh, it's unbelievable. Like it literally, it seems like he starts in sixth gear, ends in sixth gear. He does not stop until one of them are done. It, I, I was just really, really impressed. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, the heart of a lion. And again, when you meet him, what a just so what a just that's the way I like people, you know, soft spoken, humble. But when that door closes, man, tenacious and they're just, you can't stop them. 
You know what I mean? They refused to go down. They just even sometimes even when he got hit, you could just see him bite down on his mouthpiece and start swinging like and not and not sloppily. You know what I mean? Like shooting those night, you know, shoot, shot some nice combos. But again, when a guy walks in a room and you don't even know he's there. And yeah. then he was that the octagon. That to me is the definition yeah. of a of a fighter, not an arrogant, you know, jackass. And Benitez is tough as hell. That's the thing. It was it's not like Benitez isn't tough and not a good fighter. Billy Q went right at that dude and just overwhelmed him. And that's yeah. you don't see a lot of dudes do that to someone like Benitez. Yeah, and that's the I think that was the key though. He caught him and then he ne never let him get back in. Right. You know, yeah. I think if, if he didn't do that, it might have been a, a different type of fight, but Holy crap. I mean, you know, he took advantage of it and, you know, we knocked him down. They're great, man. He's just a great guy and, you know, happy to see the guy get the bonus. Imagine that you're going on your honeymoon. It's perfect. And you, you, it's just beautiful. Great, great story. A lot of good feel good. Him, Misha Tate. I was, it was a, I really enjoyed watching the fights uh, the day after. And Kenny, you're right to acknowledge the heart, the toughness of the Mexican Gabriel Benitez, who was in the best shape of his life. I do think yeah. sometimes, and we saw it obviously with Sean O'Malley and Chris Mutino, sometimes a referee has just seen a guy take enough and too tough for his own good or whatever it is. And uh, I don't know. I know obviously people had much more of an issue with the Mutino thing, obviously uh, because he was on his feet and everything else. But uh I don't know, man. I just, I didn't need to see Benitez take any more punishment. And I think no. uh, I was aligned with the referee there. We were talking about Mataj Gamroth, the submission of Jeremy Stevens, Ray, uh, before you came on. And I didn't want to keep you waiting, but uh, it's just sort of speaking to a bigger theme. There's just so much talent in the UFC right now, 35 to 70, that a guy like Mataj Gamroth, who's like 19 and one, right? can kind of fall through the cracks until you get on a main card against a big name like Jeremy Stevens. And, uh, you know, he wants the Americans to know who he is. And I think now a lot of them do. Well, I think he made that obvious on the microphone for sure, but yeah, great fight, man. I mean, quick, very quick. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I was listening to you guys before I got on. I, I definitely didn't know who he was before that, but right, right. I know who he is now. So he made Kenny, the I remember when I used to take jujitsu, um, going through the progressions of a Kimura sweep to try to escape or whatever. Uh, I was not very good at it. You know, Pahumpa would be like, you keep forgetting to post. And it's like, it's my fucking fourth day, Pahumpa, man. You know, like, God, these jujitsu guys, like, expect us to just memorize every goddamn step of a Kimura sweep in, like, one class, you know? Well, remember, um, remember, it was this morning. I don't know why you're having such difficulty. All right, yeah. So, Kenny, what can you tell us? Um, Jeremy Stevens hadn't been submitted, I don't think, since 2009. Yeah. Uh, what can you tell us? defensively or offensively about sort of what went down and maybe what plagued Stevens uh, in this exchange? Geez, you know, I, I think that Gamrot did a great job of isolating the arm away from the body of Stevens. And, um, you know, he, he, it's all about position first. You know, he, he wasn't going to try to get a submission um, to lose position. He was making sure that he was pinning Stevens to the floor. He was sam sandwiching him, um, you know, between himself and the mat uh, very well. Uh, and he was waiting for that right opportunity, uh, you know, for the strong Jeremy Stevens to kind of lose focus on that arm. Uh, and, and again, he, it's a two-on-one grip. It's very difficult to break away once you're in that position. Uh, and Gamrot was able to get that separation, bring the arm away from the torso, and then crank away. And, um, you know, Stevens, you know, his arm, once your arm's behind your back, it's very difficult to, to get that 
um, position back. He should have been turning towards Gamrot, not away. But uh, I thought it was a beautiful finish, very clinical from Gamrot. Hey, by the way, Ray, how about fucking Billy Q calling out the Boston guy, Charles Rosa? Hope Rosa fucks him up now. I I think that's I think that's a great fight for Billy Q. We should we'll bet on that fight, yeah. you and me. We'll figure uh, out a side wager for the Boston New York <laughs> angle on that one. Yeah. Well, uh, Here I'll, I am trying to like shout I'll out take, Buffalo. I'll take that bet. I'm trying to either. shout out. Well, Billy Q would be the favorite. I uh but I'm shouting out Buffalo, New York on the call, and then he calls out a Boston guy. I'm like kind of regret giving Buffalo all that shine. <laughs> all, that. all right. It is at this point of the program that we get to Amanda Lemosh. Kenflo wanted to lead the show with her. So former jungle fight champion, if you don't know, she's undefeated as a straw weight. Only time she's lost was her short notice UFC debut up at Bantamweight. She did have an extended suspension, uh, but came into this fight number 14 in the world, Kenny, in what is the deepest women's division straw weight. And Wally Ishmael told me before the fight that she is a future champion and uh, she's got a lot of skills. It's not just the striking Kenflo. What do you make of uh, Amanda Lemos as straw weight contender? John, you know, there's a few striking performances that come to mind where um, you realize they're at a different level. You know, there, there's like uh, Anderson Silva when he first b- beat Chris Lieben, uh, where he just like dancing around Chris, counter shots, slipping and ripping, just making it look easy. Like this is not your regular kind of striker. There's uh, Conor McGregor's performance against Eddie Alvarez, where he just looked like he was head and shoulders above that level where he's just, he's hitting everything he's throwing. He's, you know, getting him to miss punches. He's countering everything. Um, and, you know, there's other striking performances like that. Well, uh, you know, that was one of those that I will remember because it looked like she was so far ahead and so calm. Like she walked out, you know, with that energy, like I'm going to destroy you and I'm going to have fun doing it. And, she started out with her rhythm. She rips up. She rips a leg, a, a, a kick that I don't remember another female throwing one that fast. I mean, it was, it was lightning, and it looked like if she was trying to cut right through her, she threw it again, uh, and then her counter shot going backwards. There's very few people in the UFC who know how to counter fight, who know how to really counter strike at a high level. Uh, Amanda Lemos apparently is one of them. Uh, the way that she threw that shot going backwards, dude, that was just nasty. And she only missed one of those shots. Out of the four punches that she threw, she barely missed that second hook. Everything else landed on the money. And to see someone do that against a pressuring fighter and moving backwards, to me, shows that she's a different kind of striker. This isn't your your regular sitting out there to brawl. She's a ninja, dude. I'm telling you right now, she's someone to watch, and she could absolutely be a world champion. Yeah, that fight was stopped way too early. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll get to the stoppage. No, I a don't lot of think people, so. A lot of people what feel that way. I don't. She was ready to yeah. go. What are you talking about? No, uh, she was out. She was going to be out on her feet. Dude. She wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. See, that's the difference. Yeah. Like, yeah, she yeah. did get up, but it was, it was, we call that swimming yeah. without a life preserver. It's just a matter of yeah. time you're going yeah. down. <laughs> I mean, so wait, but that kid can hit some, some people just have bricks in their hands. It's a different type of feeling when you get hit by him. It's like, holy shit. And yeah. I think he's got, I think she's got bricks in her hands. And you know what else she has is a fucking squeeze from hell. Like she executed a rear naked choke in the UFC without even having somebody's back. 
holy, right? And in her last fight against Lavinia Souza, dropped her with a right hand, dropped her with a jab. Like, she called out Michelle Waterson and Tisha Torres. Torres has the rematch with Angela Hill coming up here in a few weeks. But uh, Amanda Lemo, she's 34, right? She did have the two-year suspension, if I'm not mistaken. But she is a real fucking problem. What do you have uh, a suspension for? I don't know exactly, you know. What do you mean? The UFC cuts my check. I just brush that stuff under the rug. You know, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Shaq even mentioned it. Yeah. yeah. Wait till we get to the Dillashaw predictions, right? Uh, yeah. By the way, I just want to tell you guys, in talking to Jeff Nowitzki a few weeks ago, yeah. for whatever the hell it's worth, TJ Dillashaw has already passed north of 25 uh, drug tests by USADA. Yeah, it's worth, uh, worth nothing. Just think we want to put a value on it. Zero. What's that? What's worth nothing. Nothing. What do you mean? Too little, too late. They had their chance to catch him before that. They blew it. Well, so they right. So he, failed, so he failed his pre and post fight drug tests uh, surrounding the Henry Cejudo fight for EPO. So a lot of people don't feel like the punishment fit the crime that he should have gotten either a lifetime ban or more than two years, or he shouldn't come right back in what amounts to a title eliminator and a main event. A lot of people are upset. Um, what, what do you think? I mean, do you think because it was EPO that he should have been banned for life since you want to talk about this, right? No, I don't even want to talk about oh, it. Oh, you don't. Oh, okay. No. All right. I no, but I, I, they, they have to punish these guys severely though. That that's yeah. for sure. It's yeah, it's it's not right. It's wrong. No, I, 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 I think largely we're aligned. I just, uh, I don't know what the solution is. If it's EPO or do you, would you rather a three or four year suspension? I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah. But at least I mean, he's passed like 30 drug tests in the last uh, year and a half or so. I'll leave uh, that up to you and Kenny to decide. Well, no, it's just somebody said to me, like, I'm not even going to, you know, because I'm soliciting and Cody, you can get those results for me if you don't mind. But I was soliciting opinion on this main event between Corey Sandhagen and TJ Dillashaw this weekend from our listeners because I'm absolutely fascinated um, by the fight. And somebody wrote to me like, I'm not even going to give you a prediction because I don't know if TJ has been tested since, you know. And so I was happy to at least be able oh. to let him know that he has absolutely been been tested. Um, and Amanda Lemos, yes, yeah, suspended after her debut loss to Leslie Smith uh, for two years. All right, so 66% of like 5,000 responses like Sandhagen and Dillish, uh, 34% for TJ, which sort of dovetails um, with the betting line. All right, two more things with, uh, with Raymond. I want to hear about your ring of combat, guys. And then I want to get a prediction on Dillashaw and Sandhagen. Um, so what what do you, what what happened? Ring of Combat. Obviously, it was a successful weekend. Seven of your guys won. Is that right? Well, I think the whole. Well, you know, I I left out uh, one of my favorite guys in the gym, Austin Halleck. He's that young kid we talk about, and he helps out all the pros. He had his amateur debut the week before, and he just flawless, beautiful performance by a young kid. I think the sky's the limit if he keeps his his head screwed on right. And then uh, after that, we had this weekend, we had Charlie Campbell and Bellator. <clears throat> he got the stoppage in the second round. Then we moved on to the ring of combat. We had a first fight was a split decision loss. Then uh, Damian Nelson for the guy out of Jackson Wink. That fight, you know, I thought Damian won the fight. Could have won either way. It was close, but they both, they both of them put on a great performance. Then Dylan Montello, who's undefeated as an amateur, undefeated as a pro, really expect to see this kid in the UFC soon. I think when they see his highlight tape, there'll be no question. He's got submission wins. He knocked this guy out in 45 seconds. Wow. Probably 6'1 at 155. Knows how to use his range. 
perfect. I kind of compare him to like a, a Calvin Qatar. Uh, right. Kata, sorry, he's got great jujitsu. Uh, he, he's good. Ken, you should take a look at him. Dylan Montello, I think you'll you'll really like what you see. Uh, and then James Gonzalez won the Ring of Combat Championship against uh, former UFC vet J, uh, Jeff Lentz. I don't know if you remember him. He was on the show going back years, uh, pretty, a couple of years ago anyway. Uh, uh, superior jiu-jitsu controlled him on the floor. Uh, he's got really great MMA jiu-jitsu. So, yeah, everybody did great. They worked their balls off. Awesome. And they, uh, we had a great weekend. The team's, uh, team's back up and rolling now that we get some shows going again. So very excited for everybody. Great to hear. Well, yeah. you always have a platform here. Well, as everybody, everybody loves Raymond, right? Wasn't that the fucking situational <laughs> comedy? Everybody loves Raymond, right? Everybody loves Raymond. Must be nice going through life. Everybody loves fucking Raymond. God damn. Well, Ray, a little alarming results this weekend. Huh? You want to talk about that? Oh, well, the fights were at the showboat. You know, normally we do them at the Tropicana. I, I got, I, I'd rather, I'd rather pass Cody because I have nothing good to say about that hotel. Oh, it was well, give us a Sandhagen uh, Dillashaw prediction then. Jeez, you just cut me right. He's, he's aggravated about so. What, what did I aggravate you this time about? Tell me. No, what you don't me aggravate about? me at all, and and you have all the time that you want. <laughs> I still have fourteen minutes he's, for you. You're right mad now, again. So. You're, you're oh. mad again. <laughs> I'm not. And I very much appreciate the phone call, by the way, after the show last week. I have my twin brother with me in Vegas. We play golf three times. So I know I didn't get back to you, but just rest assured that your voicemail lifted me up. So, oh, great. I, whatever it was. <laughs> no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm going so, with, uh, I'm going with San Hagen. Let me just jump. So I don't want to put you under any more pressure. Or oh, hey. Aggravate any further. But uh, no, I'm, uh, I, I'm going with San Hagen. I, I like the way he even called him out at the beginning. It seems like they, they train together and he feels very confident and that's good. That's good enough for me without even breaking down the fight. I think there's people that know what happened in the training room. And and again, sometimes when you get these guys, when they have been doing stuff and, and look, I don't know if he does. I always like TJ. I really, I really don't like the fact of what, I mean, obviously I can't stand it, but he was a nice kid the first day I met him, but this, this just puts a blemish on really hard. It's really yeah, hard. It's hard. It's hard because he was he's a he's a seemed like a nice guy, but they claim he's been doing this shit for years. That 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 was kind of my point before. Like everybody kind of knew it. Uh so luckily finally he got caught. But sometimes those guys come off and they're not the same mentally either because they become so dependent on it. And I think the that fact, and I'm I, like again, I'm gonna leave technicality out of it. Uh that fact plus I like what I, I think Sanhagen, first off, he's confident. He's growing. I think he learned from that Aljo loss. He looks, he looks like a world beater to me. He's, I, I love his confidence. I love, I love Sanhagen's disposition. Also, he's a, like a like a Billy Q. They just seem like they're nice guys, but when they get in that octagon, man, they know how to turn it on. And to me, that's the best recipe for uh, for being a champion. And I, I I I like Sanhagen in this fight. Yeah, I think he deserves the distinction as the favorite. It is hard with Dillashaw, Kenflo, right? Because, you know, we know the guy. We know his family, right? Great parents, great wife. and uh, But this is hard, right? It'll be a challenge to uh, for the broadcast team to call the fight this weekend, right? It's a, it's a tricky navigation. And, yeah, uh, you know, there is. will always, uh, I think, be an asterisk next to uh, a lot of what he's accomplished. But, you know, pre these positive tests, you know, Skill for skill, Kenny Dillashaw, one of the one of the best fighters that I've ever seen. You know, so uh, yes, you know. Um, all right, yeah. 
at Ray Longo MMA on social media. What does the rest of your Monday hold, Ray? I just what every other Monday holds. I hey, I I close this, life, right? I close this computer. I get something to eat. I head to the gym. All right. Well, uh, and I love it. Enjoy your breakfast. Thank you for uh, for lifting up the program as usual. And uh, uh, and again, if we retained half our audience, it's because of you. So <laughs> thank you. So you so what you're saying is you're done licking the guy's balls. <laughs> you're done. Is that it? It's over. No. Hey, did you see if the thing? With the, you see the thing with the doctors disputing that he even had a stress fracture before the fight. Yeah. And when things well, could get any worse, they just get worse. And I worse was surprised that when I heard handicappers talk about the fight, Moore didn't mention that the leg, you know, was pretty damn compromised in January. And this fight in July was pretty soon thereafter. You know, I think it stood to reason that his leg wasn't going to be 100%. But yeah, you're right. He's probably lying, right? Because the doctor dispensed yeah, yeah. it. Because you know, yeah. well, I know what I'm injured, whatever yeah. part I'm injured with, I just start throwing that the first thing. When the fight starts, no, right, right. No? Wait, hold on. Hey, one other thing. I did another podcast. I, somebody was, uh, I think TJ brought up the thing with Rogan interviewing him afterwards. Right. He goes, what did I think? I go, the guy tried kicking Dustin in the balls in the fucking face off. Like it's the same guy. Like what's what's different? He was acting crazy, and he just continued that crazy. You think it was the endorphins or the hormones? Right. Right. So John Cavanaugh took issue with our live production team's decision to uh, I, to interview Connor. And I love and I love I love John. I think look, I've and I and John, I swear to God, I've been in the same position, I think, as you are. So it's not yeah. that I haven't been there before, yeah. but but I don't think that had anything to do with it. He was like again, he's his actions before the fight were just the same as what he was doing after the fight. No, is that me? No, that's not you. I mean, is I still crickets? hear I hear crickets. No, I still hear from athletes uh, and 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 fans about when I interviewed Rich Franklin after he got knocked out by Kung Lee in his final UFC fight. And uh, in my ear, they're like, you know, they want win or loser. I'm walking over to interview Rich Franklin after he was knocked out cold. And uh, sometimes that decision doesn't reside with us. Certainly, if Rogan didn't want to interview Connor, he could have just sort of walked out of the octagon and then it doesn't happen and you deal with the repercussions thereafter. Certainly for Joe, that's an easier navigation than for me. You know, if I yeah. uh, ignore I, those imperatives and walk out the octagon, I might lose my job. But uh, I don't no, but I think he did the same thing with O'Malley that time when O'Malley's foot was uh, whatever happened to him. In the, His leg uh, wasn't snapped in two, but yes, right. you're right. I think that's a, a worthwhile example. So uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov, front runner for coach of the year right now, huh? How about that? I think, uh, come on, man. You can't argue with that. He's getting getting some hardware on this podcast. All right. Well, uh, close your computer. Have a great day. It's all, all right. love, man. It's all it love. is love, though, right? Yeah. No doubt. It's love, no doubt. I'm a, tell me you love me in front of everybody. I absolutely <laughs> love you, and I take your criticism to heart, right? Uh, maybe you know, my, uh, my ball lapping has gone a little too far. <laughs> you know? That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Look at can you close your computer, please? Henny, can you help me? Thank been holding in this lift for about five minutes. I doesn't know which way to, to turn. All right, man. Oh, oh, right. Have, have a great week. <laughs> <laughs> there he is. Get the fuck out of here. All right. <laughs> so I had one other thing in my notes, Kenny, just in terms of all the talent in the UFC. And congratulations to Daniel Rodriguez, who's a hell of a welterweight and uh, 
you know, in and out of jail most of his life, father of four, but he's never stopped working out. He's never stopped working hard. He is an LA kid who subscribes to the Mamba mentality, was a huge Kobe Bryant fan. And uh, that's allowed him to realize a lot of professional success. And, and I'm really happy for D-Rod. But Mataj Gamrot, Sergei Morozov, Mavsar Loyev, all of whom I believe have ties to American top team, right? There's just so much goddamn talent right now in the UFC down here in South Florida at American top team. It is, it is just incredible. And, uh, I don't know. I just, uh, I wanted to acknowledge American top team because, um, what Dan Lambert has built down here is, is absolutely incredible. And all these coaches, you know, who I know are well-paid and deservedly. So it's the culture they've created down here, uh, is absolutely incredible. So, all right. It is now time for the pronunciation of the week. It is brought to you by our friends at Canadips as we welcome on our executive producer, Cody Merrow. This is a tough one. So you're four and eight. Casey Williams, our intern, um, gave you one and one last week. You nailed Islam Akashev. You did not hit on Mataj Gamrot. But uh, it's, it's nice to see you, Cody. Well, it's good to see you as well, John. And I understand now why you shave your head because – when you say the pronunciation right, and then everyone after you says it incorrectly, I would pull my hair out too. So I appreciate you, John. Thank you for the attention to detail, and I'm sure all the fighters appreciate it. Well, let me just give you a little insight because I know Bruce Buffer doesn't listen to this podcast. No, that, so that wasn't a Bruce either. That's well, Bruce, I wanted to Bruce get it too well for me to say anything. Yeah. So I wanted to get ahead of the Mahashev thing with Buff, right? Because what happens is, is this is a very hard name, Mahashev, to say, right? And over the course of an eight-hour broadcast with seven or eight talking heads, inevitably, you're going to hear a lot of our crew say Mahashev, right? Love you, Michael Chiesa, but it's Mahashev, right? So a lot of people would say it the wrong way, and then it becomes habitual for other people on the broadcast. So I got with Buffer earlier in the day, and when he announced Islam right before the fight, he got it right. But his phonetics the other three times were not Makhashev. So he was one for for four uh, on his Makhashev pronunciations over the weekend. But uh, who we got today, Cody? We got a fighter who's competing this weekend, July 24th, live on ESPN. She competes in the first fight of the night. Her last name is spelled B-E-L-B-I-T-A. So it looks a lot like Belbita on paper. Cody Merrow, of whom am I speaking? Well, I feel like you said that. Now I'm going to say it incorrectly, but I think it's Diana Belbita. All right, let's hear her say it. Diana, the warrior princess, Belbita. Wait for it. Diana Belbita. Wait for it, folks. I can't hear anything. Should I be able to hear that? Kenny, can you hear it? Belbita. I can't. I can't hear it, Cody. You didn't get any of that? No, I didn't get any of that audio. But Kel- Cody did. Uh, Kenny did. So that, assumingly, means our listeners did. Belbitza. But right. it's, it's no. Belbitza. Belbitza. Isn't that crazy? It'll be crazy like that pizza. nobody. everyone's going to say it, Belbita. I So I got facetious when I emailed John. He emailed this to me last week, and he goes, okay, here's the pronunciation. I was like, oh, John, it's a little cheesy, don't you think? Huh? Huh? You know, like, yeah. Belvita, <laughs> Belbita. And then I was wrong. So that's what I get for trying to be funny, you know, like. Go fuck myself, right? Well, I, I called a Deanna Bell pizza fight with Paul Felder, and he wrote pizza on his notes, you know, Bell pizza. So, uh, but that's a tough one. You fall to four and nine, but again, right? It's like, it, it, and nobody's going to look at TA uh, on the end of a word and think pizza, Bell pizza, but it is Deanna Bell pizza. And that's Romanian. It's going to pay attention, you know? The, that's why you get to watch the Anakin Florian podcast, you know, so people can get this right. We're trying. Right. Exactly. We are trying. We are trying. All right, bonus winners for UFC Fight Night. 
fight of the night, no doubter, Billy Corantella versus Gabriel Mowgli Benitez. And then they went four wide on the performance bonuses. Misha Tate, Hadolfo Vieta, Mataj Gamrot, and Rodrigo Nascimento. What'd you make of the uh, former five-time world Brazilian jiu-jitsu champion, Hadolfo Vieta, Ken Flo? Uh, the jab was obviously a big factor. Uh, he's, he's had to battle a lot of mental demons just to make this yeah. walk in MMA nine or 10 times says he's not sure that any fighter fears fighting as much as he does. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's funny for a guy who is built like him, uh, and who possesses some of the skills that he has, uh, that he, he has that kind of fear, um, and that he's that timid, but he's a very soft-spoken guy. He seems like a very nice guy. Um, and I thought this was a, a pretty solid performance from him. I thought it was good to see, you know, his willingness to kind of get in and get out, throw that jab. Uh, he was a little bit too linear for me. There were a couple of times where he was moving just straight back or just moving straight in where I thought he would get caught. But um, I thought it was a, a huge uh, improvement uh, over his last performance, of course, and um, looked solid. And, you know, I think with some more training, with, with some more confidence, um, he could still be a problem uh, in that division. Uh, he's so skilled on the ground. Um, I think he'll continue to get uh, much, much better. And on the other side, Dustin Stoltzfus is just getting going, very much a developing fighter. Uh, and I think he has a, a bright future as well. And again, I, I'm a broken record, but it speaks to the depth. Like Stoltzfus might be our number 60th ranked middleweight. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's just the depth is absolutely absurd yes. right now. All right. As you might expect, another UFC fight night this weekend. Main event, Corey Sandhagen versus TJ Dillashaw. Let's get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. And it. The time is most definitely now. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, time to make some picks as we welcome on the duck Ian Parker on social media at Ian Parker MMA. Pretty good card we got coming up this weekend, boys. We got three main card selections, and then I want some quick picks on the way out. You can go as long or short on the quick picks as you choose, but there are a lot of close fights that I want you guys to be forced to go on the record with. So we will start with the main card bout at Bantamweight. 14th ranked Kyler Phillips, minus 280. Howley and Paiva, plus 225. So Paiva moving up to 135 pounds after missing weight for a Fight Island start last July. That night, Ian, he did beat Jalgish Umagulab, although I didn't think he won that fight, but that is neither here nor there. What do you think about Paiva here against the streaking Kyler Phillips? I think Phillips is someone who should be talked about. That's not talked about enough. That last yeah. performance he had was very impressive, very smart as an underdog. A lot of people had him... Um, the wrestling, even his striking has just come so far. I, I think he gets this done. I, I'm honestly like, I, I don't love the line being so high for guys that haven't fought so much in the UFC, but he is a guy that I think will be a problem in this division, and he just keeps getting better. So I'm going to go with Kyler Phillips here. Kempfla, what do you think? Phillips and Paiva here at Bantamweight. Yeah, I think it's a tough matchup for Paiva. Paiva's got a lot of experience, his reach. Um, you know, he should be the taller uh, guy with the longer reach, and, and he could potentially use that against Kyler. But I think Kyler's just got uh, way too many skills. The way he puts this game all together, uh, I like Phillips here as well. All right, co-main event, Aspen Ladd is a minus-190 favorite for her return here against Macy Shasson, who is plus-160. We'll need the round in the method, guys, as this is the co-main event. So Ladd has been out since December of 2019. It was a TKO win over Yana Kunitskaya that night. Then she tore both her ACL and MCL, prepping for a fight with Sarah McMahon about a year ago. 
And now she draws Fortis MMA's Macy Shasson. She has fought and won twice since we last saw Aspen Ladd. Ian Parker, what do you think of the co-main? This is a lot closer, I think, than the odds are presenting. And I think that's because of how long... Oh, Kenny knows what I'm doing here. Um, Aspen Ladd being out for this long with those injuries and being this young, I don't know if she knows how to bounce back so quick. And I think Macy is starting to fight how we all saw her on the Ultimate Fighter, as we projected she would. She's with a great coach and a team at Fortis. I think the value is on her here. You know, I think she's got to use her jab. I think she will be the better striker here. You know, I still think Aspen Ladd is way too predictable and her striking is a little too slow, a little too wild. You know, she's going to try and get the fight to the ground. I think Macy's got a good ground game as well. Um, This is a very hard one to choose. I'm going to take a flyer on Macy here at these dog odds. And how does she get it done? Oh, by decision. It's always tough handicapping layoffs especially when it comes to a young developing fighter like aspen lad because you know how hard she works and you got to think in theory she would be presenting a totally different version of herself or at least a better one macy shasson kenny nine in the world trying to take aspen lads number three ranking what do you think about the comment yeah i always look for ways to try to sneak points here and there against uh ian and um ian's really not giving anything away he's very stingy over the last several weeks so trying to close that gap to make it a little bit more respectable i agree with them here I, I think that um aspen's being a little bit too overvalued here number one can't she win the fight sure um uh but i i do like macy here as well uh, i think that she has a certain toughness and an ability uh to execute smart game plans i think she'll do the same th- same thing here against aspen lad uh and uh, i think she's poised to win here by decision all right, main event at Bantamweight. How fucking good is this? I can't wait to just sit on my couch and uh, not talk for a change. Corey Sanhagen is looking to hurt people in there. His words, not mine, and that is exactly what he has done of late. As such, Ian, he is a minus-190 betting favorite here against the returning TJ Dillashaw. He comes back at plus-160 and comes back to the sport off suspension last seen January of 2019. What do you think, Ian? Who wins the main event, and how do they get it done? there's just no way I could take TJ here. I, I don't know what TJ we are going to get. You know, I, I was on earlier, I heard what Ray said, and there has been talks that TJ has been on this for forever, you know, and again, let's just say even that he wasn't, say it was a year or two years. Those were his best years. You know, we saw the evolution in his game when he went over with, with bang. And I just, San Hagen is just something different right now. Not a lot of guys bounce back the way he did after getting subbed out in a big spot by Aljo, you know, and I mean, what he did to Frankie, what he's just been doing in general, the confidence level, his his IQ is just through the roof. He keeps getting better and better. And I think this is a rough matchup for TJ. Listen, TJ wants to prove to the world that that stuff was just for healing powers, I guess. You know, because it went over Sanhagen gets him right back into the title picture. But for me, this is Sanhagen's time. I would not have done this if I was TJ. I would have done something a little bit down the pecking order just because a two-year layoff in general also. He's never had that in the UFC or in his career in general. Give me Corey Sanhagen. Um, oh, man, to say he's going to finish TJ is kind of tough. I, I don't even – it's Monday, so it's a, it's a tough one here. Let me go Sanhagen by TKO round two. I don't think you could give TJ Dillashaw a tougher matchup coming yeah. off of suspension, maybe like Marab, but it was January of 2019, Kenny. Dillashaw was vying to become a two-division champ at flyweight. Henry Cejudo knocks him out in 32 seconds, fails both pre- and post-fight drug tests for EPO. 
and despite the fact that uh, he has passed a lot of drug tests since, uh, a lot of people don't want to give him any sort of fair shake. He's getting a huge fight in his return. Ken Flo, how do you see it going down this weekend? You know, this is a tough one. I think um, I, I agree with what a lot of what Ian said. Um, what's his mind state going to be like knowing that he's going into potentially his first pro fight in a long time without um, EPO, uh, a substance which allows you to not only push harder, longer in training, but push harder, longer during a fight. Um, and the back of your mind knowing that, Hey, maybe I can't keep that same pace. What's going to happen when I get into those fourth and fifth rounds when I'm not on? I don't know. Um, is that something he's dealing with? It's it's quite possible. Um, I think that's kind of one of the big negatives with someone who uses is now what happens when you don't have that. Um, so mentally, it's going to be a, a, a challenge, a big hurdle for him. Skill-wise, though, um, if, if it's the same TJ Dillashaw skill-wise, um, he, he can win that fight. He can win that fight against Garbrandt. He's got a ton of big fight experience. He's had his back up against the wall before. Uh, TJ has some real skills that can be very confusing for people. Um, however, I think it would be very difficult to go out there and after this long layoff with everything and go out there and beat a guy like Corey Sanhagen, who has been very active, uh, who's going to have a height and reach advantage out there, uh, who's been putting it together very well, and who also has knowledge of TJ Dillashaw of what he does. Uh, that, that is a huge advantage. You know, a lot of people talk about secrets, uh, about uh, experience being the ultimate currency in combat. Uh, I think secrecy is one of the ultimate currencies in combat. Uh, and when you know more about your enemy, when you know more about your opponent, that is a huge advantage. Uh, I like Sanhagen here as well. Uh, let's go with. Um, Let's go with fourth round TKO Sanhagen. Ken Flo likes Corey Sanhagen by round four TKO. And there is no overstating how much value that Aljamain Sterling loss had for Corey Sanhagen. He effectively flipped the switch thereafter. And a lot of elite bantamweights uh, have paid the price. All right. Some quick picks on the way out fight. A lot of folks are talking about a bantamweight Ken Flo. Adrian Yanez minus 195 against the Zohan Randy Costa. Who's plus 165. Who do you have there? I'm going to go with Yanez. IP Yanez Costa. Same. All right, like at middleweight. Well. At middleweight, close fight numbers wise here. A couple of uh, remember the show guests: Punahele Soriano minus one twenty five. Ian Brendan Allen plus one hundred five. Anything for us on this one? Yeah, th this one's tough. This to me is: Does Brendan Allen get this fight to the ground quick, or does he get right. boxed into the shadow realm? And uh, right. I just think that Soriano's got such a good coach in Eric Nissick that they've been working on that takedown defense. I'm going to go with Soriano here. Kenny, you know how good Allen's submission game is, and his all-around game is certainly yeah. improving, training at Sanford MMA, but what people talk about this Puna Hele Soriano as if it's just something different, you know? What do you think about Puna and B.A.? Yeah, it worries me that Allen also kind of will get comfortable on the feet and sometimes gets a little too manly, so, uh, you know, that, that could come back to haunt him here. I, I like Soriano here. All right, big fight for a couple of ranked women at flyweight. Miranda Maverick, minus 135. Macy Barber, plus 115. Ian, any strong lean on this one? Yeah, I'm going to take Miranda Maverick until she loses. I, I, you know, with Macy, I'm a big fan of Macy Barber, too. But that last fight, she kind of didn't – I didn't see any improvements. I saw what, what happened to her last time, and I think Maverick is just a bad matchup for her all around. So I'm going to go on Miranda here. Ken Flo, Maverick Barber, who you got? Maverick. At featherweight, Derek Minner and Darren Elkins. Minner is the favorite. Elkins, the dog. IP. What do you got? 
I'm going to go with Minner. Cancel. Yeah, I like Minner here as well. All right. If you want more from the duck, he is at Ian Parker MMA. Thanks for being nicer to me than fucking Longo today. My God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, <laughs> you don't look too happy to begin with. So the last thing I'm going to do good. is I'm think fine. about Cotter. I'm, okay. uh, no, I'm good. Look, we moved. We moved on. That's that's just a fight that was in the past. It happened many hours ago. We don't need that's to right. talk about. It. We don't need All to right. talk. Nice to see you, Ian, and uh, maybe we'll get a cup of coffee here in the next few weeks. I'm back in South Florida for uh, about 20 days. So uh, thank you for your contributions, and uh, we will talk to you soon, my friend. You got it. Be good, guys. See ya. All right, anticfloriumpodcast.com. We'll link you to the video, the audio, FlowTube, which is Ken Flo's YouTube channel that he still reluctantly refuses to change the name from Kenny Florian to FlowTube, but... A lot of good stuff on FlowTube. Merchandise link also at anticloriumpodcast.com if you want the Longo shirts or the uh, Parental Advisory Explicit Lyrics shirt. We are back next week. I can't wait to see what happens with Sanhagen and uh, and Dillashaw. I think it's going to be a tough good week one. for TJ with the media grind and everything that he's going to have to deal with. I know he's not cutting the flyweight anymore, but I think it is going to be a taxing fight week. And then uh, your reward at the end of it is that they lock you in an octagon with uh, Corey Sanhagen. So we'll see how it all plays out. We're back with you next Monday to recap that and obviously look ahead to Uriah Hall and Sean Strickland coming up to close out the month on July 31st. Thanks to Ray Longo, Ian Parker, our executive producer Cody Merrow and all of you for sticking with us through 309 episodes until next Monday for Ken Fulham, John Anik, don't text and drive yo fucking later Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.